Are you looking to take your knowledge of faith to the next level? Oh, yeah! You've come to the right place. Welcome to Post-Christian Pastors, broadcasting from the Steel City, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. The podcast hosted by four pastors as they discuss relationships, faith, pop culture, current issues, and much, much more. Post-Christian Pastors. Welcome. We're glad you're here with us back at it here at Post-Christian Pastors. We are coming at you live from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I'm Mark Helsel, and uh, this podcast is simply about, well, you know, it's about relationships. It's about faith. It's about pop culture. It's about current issues, all kinds of stuff going on here at Post-Christian Pastors. And the, the team is back. Hi, guys. Hey, hey it's good to be here. The team is back, and uh, these are... Uh, all great guys uh, over here. We got John Price. How you doing, John? Good. Good to be here. Glad right. to be back. Good to see you. Mike Arnold, still weeping over the cutting of Johnny Manziel. That's good. We got RG3. <laughs> if you listen to the first <laughs> podcast, you know that Mike's our, our poor, sad Cleveland Browns uh, follower. And there's Hope Springs Anew. Hope Springs Anew. Easter just happened. And Hope Springs One Heisman anew. out, a new Heisman in. <laughs> yep. there you go. Will the Cleveland Browns have a resurrection? No. <laughs> Someday. They will stay in the tomb, the tomb of uh, the AFC North tomb basement. That's where they're going to be. Wow. And finally, last but not least, Marv Nelson. Hello, Marv. Hey, how's it going? Great. Wow. I'm really glad to be here, obviously. I'm speechless. You want to try that again? Yeah. Hey, I'm glad to be here. It's good to see you guys again. There we go. Love post-production. <laughs> <laughs> Editing that crap out. Editing crap out and made everybody look good. But, you know, it's like kind of like Instagram, right? You put up, you take 20 pictures, you pick your ba- favorite one, stick a filter on it, and, and you look great in every picture. So, uh, hey, guys, so the, the show, the theme for the show this week is... Um, Verses, and we're talking about um, different things that are going on in our culture, where it's this versus that. The movie Batman versus Superman just came out. Yes, it did. And uh, so, Batman versus Superman, big pop culture thing. Uh, so, who would you go for? Who would you go for if it was Batman versus Superman? Mike, who would you go for, Batman or Superman? Superman. Batman always gets his butt kicked continuously. <laughs> <laughs> That's, you would not see. Nobody goes for Superman usually. Marv, who would you? I, go I'm for? Superman as well. You're I've, going for I've Superman. I've been a Superman fan since I was a little kid. So every time Superman Kryptonite is not really that big of a deal. John, I agreed. I mean, Superman is like he's super, right? Mm-hmm. He's a he's super man. It's true. He's, no one. Got all you, you these guys powers, are lame, right? So, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so apparently guys, no one ever. It logically, Superman, it logically doesn't make sense. The superhuman being <laughs> can be defeated. By so the problem by is, you guys have never read the book Dark Knight Returns. So, if you read Dark Knight Returns, that's which an assumption the, which, that you might be wrong in. Okay, which the movie is mostly based on Dark Knight Returns. Some of it is Batman uh, beats the crap out of Superman because he uses kryptonite, which is, you know, a simple, you know, Superman's weakness. And so, I mean, Gene Hackman beat the crap out of Superman in the first, in the first Superman movie. Remember that? Yeah, because of kryptonite. So if Gene Hackman can do it as Lex Luthor, then why can't 
Batman always gets beat up every movie. <laughs> that's all the time. That's part of being Batman. The part only person being... that gets beat up more than him is probably Daredevil on the yeah. other side of the comic <laughs> yeah, world. Right. Batman, yes. that's his move. I get beat up first and then I and I come back. That's, that's Daredevil's right. move. It anyway. is indeed. Yeah. So we have uh, this versus thing, and there's a lot of things going on in our culture right now where there's this versus that and things going on. And today we're going to talk about we're going to talk about kind of a couple things going on in our culture that are happening. First, we're going to talk about politics. Exciting. So, yeah, lots of fun, right? We're going to mix politics and religion, something you should never talk about in play company, but this is a podcast. So <laughs> You were at can... Easter dinner on Sunday? Yes. <laughs> you stayed away from that? We're not staying away from that no. today. Uncle Johnny, how do you feel about Hillary Clinton? You know, you know that's not a fun Easter or fun Easter dinner, right? No. It doesn't, no. doesn't go well. So, But we're going to no. talk about politics, and we're also going to talk about in the second second segment we're also going to talk about big churches versus small churches and that should be an interesting conversation maybe if you're out there in christendom the christian world culture you heard uh, some of the comments that andy stanley made uh, a couple weeks ago and so we'll address those and we'll talk about those sound good sounds great, great. i'm All excited right. cool we'll be right back Here on Post Christian Pastors, thanks for joining us, and uh, guys, we're uh, back at it here, and we're going to talk about politics. Wow, has this been crazy or what? But uh, I've never seen anything like this, and um, one of the things I want to talk about is, you know, last show we talked about, you know, what's an evangelical, and what does it mean to be an evangelical, and, and that whole label, and I've heard that label thrown around so much during during this uh, election season, um, especially when it comes to evangelicals voting for Donald Trump. And um, so, and by the way, we're not here to endorse any political candidate. Absolutely not. And no. we're not here, but, but, but I think it, there's some great conversations around because this has been such a, a, a huge issue in our culture right now where we've got Democrats versus Republicans, we've got Republicans versus Republicans, and Democrats versus Democrats. Yeah. So this whole idea of uh, evangelicals are, are voting for Trump in huge numbers, and, and uh, they are uh, pushing Donald Trump to, the, uh, uh, to electing him as the Republican candidate. And uh, I just want to get kind of your guys' thoughts on that. First of all, do you think that premise is even correct? Do you think that evangelicals are voting for Trump? And if you, if you think that, or, if, or even if that you don't think that's true, maybe it's true in other places of the country, um, why do you think evangelicals would be voting for Donald Trump? So I'm going to just throw that out there. Yeah, well, I, I'll, I'll jump in first because I, I was reading some stuff that Barna Group was putting out on Facebook, and they, they were delineating out who the evangelicals are that are voting. And they said the majority of those that are labeled evangelicals who are voting for Donald Trump are more like more or less the nominal Christians, ones that just say, hey, I'm a Christian, and that's what I put on my voting card. Uh, he, he said, the Barna Group said that there was the very, very small minority were actual church-going Christians right. who go every week and, and are very involved and actively involved in church. So, you know, they were kind of saying that this, this uh, overarching theme of evangelicals voting for Trump in its essence is not really true. Because if you listen to the news media, you would, you would believe that every Christian 
is voting for <laughs> Donald Trump. Yes. Or or maybe Ted Cruz, but every but every Christian is definitely it seems like voting for Donald Trump and and it's I don't know, it's confusing to me when I watch it because I actually don't know anybody that's voting for Donald Trump, uh, other than Mike, but no, remember Maybe, last, you don't last know. show, Mike just said, "I don't know." He yeah. wouldn't. He wouldn't tell us. But Mike, what do you th- what do you think when you hear when you hear that evangelicals are voting for for Donald Trump? How does that How does that make you feel? Or you know, what do just, you think? It's hard because I think some of the behavior and um, on the election so far has just pushed people away, and so people are very hesitant to to make a, a statement on who they're voting for right now, just based upon some of the debate mm-hmm. and more or less the the behavior that's been demonstrated in these debates than what is actually being talked about. So the behavior of the candidates? Correct. Okay, so they talk more about, well, he attacked Ted Cruz's wife Correct. or or all this stuff, and it doesn't really doesn't really matter in the end, but it's what we talk about. Yeah, and just the perception of arrogance, too. Just, it pushes people back. So it's it kind of is in conflict with a lot of Christian ideals. So people are yeah. really wrestling uh, with that. For sure, based on behavior and what they're seeing in debates and, and on the campaign trail. All right, John. What about you? What do you think? What do you think this is a? Do you think this is true? Do you think it's not true that that evangelicals are voting for Trump? Well, I think in that same uh, study that Barna did, that he came back, the, the Barna group came back and said basically that the more often somebody actually in, attends church, so the more often that they actually engage their faith. Yeah the less likely they are to be voting for Donald Trump. Yeah. Okay. So it's basically, you know, evangelical Christians, I think, are defined as somebody who maybe at one point in their life said a prayer that's like, you know, Jesus, save me from my sin. Well, I don't even know. Is the, do you think the news media is defining well, evangelicals I think that, that I, way? I think that's, I think that's a, a lot of how evangelicalism is defined, okay. right? Um, in people's minds. So, like, maybe they were at a VBS one time or at a youth group one time or at, you know, they said this prayer that maybe they haven't even really engaged church, their faith, through the, through the, through the church right. in 10 years, 15 years, but yet yeah. they're an evangelical, right? Because yeah. they, at one point, had a connection to an evangelical church that they made this I went to VBS faith. when I was five. Right, yeah. I mean, I, I, mean, evangelical. I, I think that's kind of where <laughs> a lot of these people, uh, where a lot of this is coming from, is that, you know, this whole evangelicals voting for Trump, it's, like, it's kind of this cultural idea that hey i'm a i'm an evangelical christian because right. i'm not catholic because i'm i don't i'm not a mainline protestant therefore i must be an evangelical christian right right and so yeah I, I think that that that's really the the group that that we see voting for trump um are those who who on the most part aren't involved what if it is an indictment on evangelicals though what if, what if what if there are evangelicals voting for trump why would they uh, why would they be supporting a person that, in a, in a sense, doesn't really you know hold to their values or hasn't hold to their values throughout his life? And um, yeah. you know, and 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 it's questionable whether the the man knows much about about the faith. You know, two Corinthians, yeah. you know, that whole thing. Um, well, do you think? Do you think it would be an indictment? Maybe it's an indictment on American Christianity to say that it's more political than it is biblical, or it's. And, and again, not that um, not not that any that any politician saves us or rescues us or anything like that, because that goes back to 
you know, that goes back to Palm Sunday. That's, you know, save us from the Romans. That's, that's the, that's the people save us, Hosanna, save us from the Romans, not save us from our sins. It's almost as if we want, you know, a King again, we want a King. We don't want a savior. We want a King. And, um, I don't know. What do you guys think? I think it's some an people indictment? see Trump as the you know the better of two evils, and, and so it's maybe they don't see Trump as someone who aligns with them in the area of faith or belief, but they might agree with him maybe economically, or they might agree with him in another way. And so uh, the faith thing is something they're kind of just looking past almost. Or maybe they don't really loyal. expect that from that person. No, anyway. maybe it's just not an expectation. Maybe they're loyal to the Republican Party. And um, they see it as the lesser of two different evils to choose from. That's the by and large what I'm hearing from a lot of people. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it can be an indictment. I, like I said, there are some that are voting for Trump. Uh, I know two on my Facebook who are very loud about them. And, you know, I, I know them to be Christians and, and believers. Uh, and, and it is... It is kind of a statement. I, I, I made this statement in, in the book, What Good is Jesus? I fear that for many Christians, both conservative and liberal, their political desires have begun to outweigh their, their kingdom of God desires. They'd rather see their candidate win and their political agendas upheld than see people come to Christ. And I think that there is this sense of they think that Trump is going to be their voice for their political agenda that they want. Uh, you know, we've seen a lot of, of liberal stuff happening that, that is causing the conservatives to wig out. Uh, you know, for example, the, the, the gay marriage laws that were passed under Obama, some of the stuff that's been passing through Supreme Court. And, and Trump is hitting those hot buttons saying, I'll change it back. I'll change it back. I'll change it back. And so they're, they're, so that's going to draw evangelicals. Oh, well, some of them because they're right. conservative. Yeah. And, and so they're saying he's going to be our voice. He's going to be the voice. He's outside of the political realm. No one's buying his, his vote. No one's buying him to, to do these specific things. And, and, and the reality is, I think that's an asinine hope for a man who's always been about himself. He can make all these promises, but that doesn't mean he has to fulfill them. Right. You know, maybe some of you saw the new Facebook posts of one of his campaign folks who left after he had said that he's the best choice. He, only he can stop the war that's happening against Christianity in, in these Muslim countries. And she left saying, how, how can you be the only one? Right. Uh, and, and she's there kind of goes through this, this, this view of Trump is about Trump, not what he says he's about, but he's about himself. Well, maybe we shouldn't expect that out of our politicians. You know, like we, I mean, like Jesus, Jesus didn't engage with politics at all. He didn't, he didn't engage with, for, with politics to say, this will make your nation better. Right. This will make things better. And, and I wonder you know, sometimes if we should care that much, should we care yeah, that much? Yeah, I mean, I think that if you look at Jesus, um, the way he interacts with political issues, right? I mean, because he did interact with political issues. Right. He focuses a lot on the issue of fear, right? You know, you know yeah. do not fear, I have overcome the world. I mean, he, he talks about this, this fear that we have yeah. uh, in our heart. And I think that's really what's driving people, not just to, to Trump, but to Bernie Sanders, to anyone else. It's, there's fear. Mm-hmm. I mean, there is great, I think, fear in the hearts of people in this country um, on, in different ways. And, it's and what do you think they're afraid of? Oh, I mean, <laughs> they're, they're afraid of, uh, of radical Muslims. They're afraid of terrorism. They're afraid of you know, the economy. They're afraid of jobs being sent over. I mean, they're afraid of all these times. Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, I think there's 
there is some legitimacy to some of those fears, but to the extent where it's driving people to, you know, to make these just incredibly, you know, uh, weird decisions in terms of who they're voting for. It's just a, it's a hard balance to, I mean, it is one of the channels of influence in our country, but um, it is not the channel of influence that changes people's hearts. Right. We can legislate morality and it can affect the moral climate of a country for sure, but it can't change hearts. And so I think where a follower of Jesus has to be careful is we need to engage in the dialogue. We need to be aware of it. We need to influence there, but it cannot be the only influence or even the primary influence. If someone follows Christ and that is their primary area of influence is Facebook posts about the election, but they don't right. love their neighbor. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And did not, you read my Facebook post? Yeah. And they're not knee to knee, eye to eye. Then, then I think Christ would reject that. Right. Um, that is where life gets changed. The beautiful thing about our system is if followers of Christ were knee-to-knee, eye-to-eye, and loving as servants, um, the system will follow the masses. And right. so if that, that's the way to change the country is ultimately loving someone eyeball-to-eyeball. So maybe we've dumped so much pressure on politics and we've dumped so much uh, um, trust in politics to fix things because we don't want to do it. Because ultimately, ultimately it's so much harder to love my neighbor, to take care of my neighbor when they don't have money. Let the government do it. Let the government fix this. Let the government fix this. When I think, when I think as a Christian, the, the call would be, no, you fix it. You, you go out and fix this because you've been called to go into the world and redeem things that are broken and you are called into the world to spread the kingdom of God and in yep. the kingdom of God everybody flourishes not just yep. not just Christians everybody would flourish in that kingdom. Yeah, I mean Jesus didn't spend time lobbying for the poor or developing laws to shut the mouths of the Pharisees. Jesus didn't complain on Facebook like he said about the how Caesar was leading or what an ungodly king he was. Jesus acted. He lived out his belief. I mean that that's what he did, and that's what inspires us as believers. It's not, let's find someone who is going to put into practice by law the things that we're supposed to be doing in our lives right now. And ultimately, they subverted the kingdom. Right? Yeah. They, they subverted, the Christians subverted the kingdom and brought the kingdom down, if you will. The Caesars down, it brought, it brought the gods of that age down. Everything came down, and the kingdom of God that's really how every moving. movement starts. It always starts right. at a grassroots level. And uh, I think it's what's, what's been rejected in culture was uh, faith legislated through the government. That's why right. it's such a top, touchy issue right now when you hear about the election is because it hits some nerves that are very much still exposed from the evangelical right movement of maybe five to ten years ago. And so believers that are still looking for redemption to come through a political figure um, I mean, they're so far out right. of touch as far as yeah. where the rest of the culture well, so, is. So, sure. like, look, like, so you look in our country. So, pilgrims left England, where religion was run by the state, yep. and now almost you, you see, like, I see people who they almost want the state people, the people that are running the state, politicians, to then be these pillars of faith and be these people that kind of lead us in faith. And you go, isn't that kind of going back to what yeah. you came away from right. originally? You, well, you didn't wanna, want you that want, in the first place. You want someone there making decisions, though, that has some kind of 
moral compass yes. as well. And so that's absolutely right. that's, that's, that's where we can't we can't completely leave it. Yeah, it is a tension to navigate. This isn't a problem to solve. Uh, it's it's one area where faith should have dialogue, but it's not even the primary area where every follower of Christ should be living out their faith. That should be with their neighbors and people yeah. that are in their little you know ballparks with their kids. Yeah. It should be their daily life. Yeah, because the nation of Israel suffered under bad kings, right? I mean, they had good kings. Yep. They had bad kings, mostly bad. Yep. And they suffered under the bad kings. And so we shouldn't want a bad leader, right? We, we, we shouldn't want a bad president. We, we should want a moral person, a person who, you know, who does display characteristics. I'm not saying they have to be a Christian. Uh, I, I mean, I'd prefer that. But, um, you know, my guy that I was rooting for in this, I'll just tell you, the guy I was rooting for was, um, was Marco Rubio because I thought Rubio had yeah. a strong faith and he had a, a good moral compass. And, you know, whether people agree with me or not on that, I don't really care. But, right. but, um, but that's how I felt, and that's why I would have voted for him if he would have still been in. But now I feel like this is the other question. Like we're, we're like, I know a lot of people are looking at it going, I don't know who to vote for because yeah. yeah. I don't like anybody. And yeah. that's, what do you do when you're in that situation? I think what, you, what do as a Christian do you do when you're in that situation? You go, I don't want to vote for Hillary or Bernie and I don't want to vote for Donald Trump. And I don't think Ted Cruz, who is a Christian, I believe is, is a Christian. I don't particularly like him that much, but, but uh, <laughs> he's a, he's a, he's a Christian, but I don't think he's going to be the nominee or we'll see, but let's just say it came down to Hillary or, Donald, and you're going, I don't want to vote for either one of them. What do you do as a Christian then? Yeah, I mean, I think that there's there's this reality. I hate that phrase that, that everyone uses, the, the better of two evils. Mm-hmm. You know, and I even ask someone that question. If it was Hillary and Donald, who'd you vote for? And they're like, oh, Donald. And I'm like, okay, well, let, let, let's think about this. Let's backtrack a little bit understanding. You know, I, for me personally, we have to look at the whole of, of our country at that point. And if Donald Trump is the, the person that becomes president, then we have to look at our foreign policy. How is he going to interact with those that are not Americans? How is he going to, how is he going to put forward our agenda on, on the, the international scale? And I don't think he's going to have the respect or the ability to do that. Hillary, though she's a liar, you know, as it's been pulled out. Um, <laughs> oh, why don't you make your wow. thoughts known? There's, there's this, there's this aspect that she knows the foreign policy world and won't be laughed at. I just want to say Bill Clinton's going to be the first man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's going to be the, that's going to be the, the first early, man. What's it going to feel like for him no, to wake up in the White House and be like, I don't work here anymore. I'm the first lady. <laughs> I'm the first man. What do you do all day if you're Bill Clinton? What do you do? Yeah. Like literally, if your wife becomes president, what do you do all day? I don't know. If I was the first you man, the, uh, I would literally. Test? What do they do? Uh, like the no, they're litter. supposed to choose the China wear and all these different things. For <laughs> he, he's going to do that. <laughs> he's going to all be like. It all be like. Uh, uh, Coca-Cola glasses or whatever, you know, it'll be like all memorial beer, glass beer signs. Beer so, signs and imagine how awkward it'd be. Like for eight years, you worked there. That was your office. Now you're going oh, to your man. wife's office. But you like, you live there. So if I was yeah. the first man, I would literally sit in bed all day ordering ordering room service and watching Netflix. That's literally what I would do with walk my around life. the house right. in underwear. Yes, I would walk well, around well, back in my to, underwear. Back to the question. Oh, what? Uh, oh, go yeah, ahead. So, uh, <laughs> As John drops well, John, his microphone, John just drop the but mic. Uh, but I mean I, I you know and even, even then with the foreign policy issue would 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 a woman be taken seriously you know in, in some of well, these that's countries Marv that's not I mean come on I'm talking about the world not America I'm saying like if they, if they're going to talk to a, Margaret Thatcher. I'm saying if they're going to go into a Muslim country, some Arabic countries, yeah. This well, is, you know, I will say this, yeah. Well, again, so, in those so countries, no, 
Right. Th- th- but but that's where this actually takes some thought now. Yeah, Now that's we can't just go, oh, I'm going to pick my party or I'm going to pick the person that I think I like how they communicate. Now you actually have to think through what are the issues of our day and how, almost at the forecast, how these candidates will handle those issues. Exactly. And make make the best possible choice. And that's where I think many people in America, or maybe even evangelicals, are they going to have the thought and the depth to actually and dissect they, that, and they that don't. decision? That's my, that's my fear is we're only thinking about America, but the reality is, is when we vote in a president, it's how will they interact with the world, not just America. You know, like we, we hear this this thing about Trump, oh, I'm going to build a wall and the Mexicans are going to pay for it, right? These, these I've tried to figure out how that's happening. He's just Every time he says the Mexicans are going to pay for it, I've been to Mexico. Right. I have no what idea they pay for? how they're paying he for this. stuff like Grandpa says at the table. You're just like, right. don't say that, yeah. Grandpa. Right. Did like, you see that video? Like Did you ever see the video? <laughs> he's, of the, he's calling for internment camps now, right? Did you hear uh, that one? Yeah. Did yeah. you ever see that video of the drunk neighbor? Hey, like would you're be, dr- I mean, we'd have great news. We would have... <laughs> Unbelievable, Unbelievable news. news. The news people want Trump. Yes, they because do. it's just well, ratings. Wrong. Like it's Saturday just, Life. Can you imagine a, the skits on Saturday? Here's what Life. happened crazy today. I mean, that's a news at six. Here's what Donald said today. Yeah, but the orange <laughs> president, our first. Orange I don't. President. I just don't. I anyway. So that I'm, my point. Where are we? Where are we? What my quest? point. I'm bringing this back. Yeah. I'm bringing this back. Okay. My point is that we have to look more than just the American reality. We have to look at the whole picture of the world. Who is best for the world? Uh, to John's question and you know, to your question, Mark, and how do we vote? What do we do in that? We have to look at a broader picture. And I don't think that many Americans are looking at a broader picture. So you're saying you would vote outside of maybe the typical party that you would vote for in order to vote for the person that was best for the world? Yeah. Okay. No, that's good. I, I mean, I like. I haven't thought about it that way. So that was a good. That's good. Like, would you vote? Because I, I think a lot of people vote. Like, it's America first, and America. You know, you're American, so yeah, America probably should be first. But but how do you vote for a for the whole world? What's going to be best for that? Right. Interesting. I like that. Any anything, Mike? Yeah, I think I will just dissect a number of issues and try to see how each candidate will handle those issues, and probably make my decision based upon that, which issues are, are priorities for me. Um, and then kind of make, a, make, make the choice that way. Pray hard. That's <laughs> Yeah. Pray hard I, and pull the lever. I, I mean, Holy Spirit, you make it happen. I mean, Holy Spirit, I mean, eeny, meeny, miny, miny. That might be kind of like, you know, like the, right Christian, the Christian joke, but I mean, it, I mean, really think it's, no, no, it's, it's pray. I mean, really, I mean, it's... Because you, know, you understand that, it, like, if it comes to that, if it comes to Hillary and Donald... There are a lot of Christians who are going to walk in there going, I really don't know what to do right yeah. now. Like, I, I really, they're going to stand in front of the lever, the metaphorical lever. It's probably not a lever anymore. It's like a it's computer like now. Computer. Yeah. And they're going to stand there with their finger over the screen going, oh, I, I don't want to do this. And, yeah. and, if you, and you could say, well, I'll write somebody in or whatever like that, Donald Duck or whatever. Right. You know, that, that's stupid. Yeah, because then you're not helping you. You're not helping issue. anything. So, you know, it's going to be a very interesting, you know, and maybe then you just, maybe you just do it and then you just go, okay, I don't put much stock in this anyway. Again, the influence of your vote, which is incredibly significant, is far less than the influence that you have in your neighbors, your coworkers, your kids, and your family members. And if followers of Jesus would realize, yes, that vote matters. When they push that button, they actually have influence in the country. It's great. They have more influence with the people that are around them every day. Yep. And that's, that's the field that we play in. Because right, once, once you walk out of that voting booth, you still have 
the same responsibility to the people around you that you had from the day before, no matter or who the you month voted before, for, the right. years before. Right. And, and I think that's lost often too. Like, again, it's easier to put off onto politicians to do what God has called you to do. Right. Mm-hmm. And, yep. or, or to ask them. And I think that's why, you know, I think that's why Israel wanted a king. They wanted somebody to tell them what to do. But it's like, God's already told you what to do. It's, it's Absolutely. just do it. And, and I think America, and maybe we're getting what God is giving us. Like God is saying, this is a reflection of who you are. Yep. Like this is a reflection of what's going on in your culture. It, it's your last ditch resort for a savior. You know, well, it's like, it's church, like God, God saying. It feels like we've lost some kind of moral ground or faith ground. The church can only look to themselves and say, right. we are to blame. We cannot blame the president. We cannot blame Hollywood. We can yeah. only blame ourselves. Because if someone lives out their faith, it is a beautiful thing that is highly attractive to other people. Yeah. And so I mean, Jesus, Jesus didn't blame heathens for being heathens. Right. Paul didn't blame heathens for being heathens. Right. It was yeah. always like you, as the church, you're where you're where the the story of grace and redemption starts. And and if you don't do it, nobody else is going to do it. And then you'll have nobody else to blame for you know what's that old. The old saying is, "Don't blame the darkness for being dark." Right. Right. You know, just blame the light for not shining. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of Christians think that their cultural influence is in how they vote, yeah, right? Which is they, not true. Right. They think, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna impact. Well, it's easy. Cu- right. I'm gonna impact culture by <laughs> right. my vote. It's lazy. Well, okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah. As Mike said, there you do have that privilege and that influence, but you know, the way that we as as followers of Christ impact or change culture has very little to do with how we vote. Right. Right. I mean, the Christians in the Roman Empire changed the entire empire and never did they ever one of them vote. Right. right. They didn't, they didn't, <laughs> they, uh, they didn't have know, a chance. Right. And they didn't try to legislate morality. They lived it out. You know, Jesus and the early church show us that living out our faith is the most effective way to real life change for us and others. I mean, like the one thing, you know, you were talking a little bit about when, when faith and morals were legislated, things kind of fell apart for the Christian church. I mean, we talk about Constantine and these different things, you know, they were underground and they were, they were changing the political realm by living out their faith. But then when they were the top dog, it became, it, 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 you know, the popes were corrupt and things began to, to just erupt in corruption and, and the Christian urge in the world was lost. We began to kill people and force them to believe what we believe. And I mean, who would have thought that the GOP frontrunner for conservatives would have been a man who's had several wives, runs casinos with known prostitution within them, strip clubs in his name, all these different things. Who would have thought that that would have been the conservative frontrunner? Eight years ago, they would have been like, if, if that was Obama, they would have raked him over the coals. But today... That's the front runner. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of interesting. That, I, th- I can't remember which paper it was in, but uh, there was an article about how uh, John Kasich is probably the most evangelical of oh, all I saw of, that. of yeah. every of yeah. all of the. And he's from McKee's Rocks. Right, he's from McKee's. That's right. <laughs> Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh. Yeah. Um, Feel the I bird. I did not know that. <laughs> he's the most evangelical, yet has had very few evangelical quote leaders um, support him because his politics aren't conservative enough, right? He, right. He's, he, he, 
he works with people and he tries to yeah. find ways to uh, to make make things work in the political world. I mean, that's a whole other discussion right. of whether um, you know the 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 conservative Christians who are voting typically for Republicans have moved away from what are actually biblical values. And they've moved away to other things, and they call it biblical values, and it's not right. really biblical values. Like mm. taking Pharisees care, did taking right. care, yeah, mm. taking care of the poor. <laughs> taking care of the poor is a huge biblical value. Yeah, it is. I mean, Old Testament and New. It's not just a value; it's a mandate. Yeah, but we don't really <laughs> talk about that as a as a you know as Christians. Often we don't talk about it. No. Nope. All right. Well, that was a that was a good discussion. I like the I like where we went with that. We are in this crazy crazy time and hopefully that's a help to you guys and uh, we're going to come right back with uh, a discussion about big churches versus small churches and maybe some of you caught some of the things that andy stanley said a couple weeks ago we're going to talk about that a little bit i like them big but which one is better big churches or small churches we'll be right back here on post-christian pastors Christian pastors with Mike, Marv, Mark, and John. John, you always get to go last because you don't have an M in your in your name, so you get to go last. Is that all right? MMJ. Yeah, MMMJ. MMJ. So welcome back here. All right, we're on our, our theme for this uh, week is verses, and we just got talked about we talked about things in our culture going on politically, this versus that. People are people are going at it like crazy, but um, this is a little bit closer to home. This one. Uh, we're talking about big churches versus small churches. And uh, first of all, let me set some context for you. So the four people around the four people around the table, um, John, John, you've worked in kind of what size churches for your career? Uh, I've worked in all size churches. I've worked in a 1,500-member church. I've worked in a 500-member church. I've worked in a 100-member church. So, I've, so you've kind of been around the whole gambit. Mike, what about you? Um, worked at four churches. Uh, one was eight. My first one was eight thousand members uh, attendance weekly. The next one was twelve thousand, four thousand, and then two thousand. But I lead a, a small campus of that. That's one hundred and fifty people. So because you've been in real big and small. Yeah, the campus well, I mean, lead now. Actually, one hundred people is more is bigger than like ninety. Yeah, I've heard it's like bigger than ninety some percent of churches in America. Wow. Uh, I work in a church. I work in a church uh, now. I've worked in really big churches. Not not not. Like the years, like 2,000, 2,500, you know, thousand, kind of around there. And now I like Mike, I lead a small campus of about 100, 120 people on a typical, typical week. So that's kind of um, what I do now. And Marv, uh, what about you? Yeah. So uh, my first church um, I was in was about 200 people. And then I moved to uh, Pittsburgh where the, the church attendance is about 3,000. And I was a you know youth pastor within that, and now I am a campus pastor of a plant from that same church of three thousand. We see about sixty five people on, on a week, Sunday. so so I think we all have a a good variety of yeah, big and big small. And we've, we've, we've all seen both, and um, and uh, so we're talking about whether big churches or small churches, um, you know, which one is better. Um, 
And uh, this kind of comes out of uh, comments that Andy Stanley made a couple weeks ago. And I'll go right on the record to say I love Andy. I think Andy's done great things for the church. Um, I think it was uh, unfortunate what he said where and and the comments that he made and i don't have it right in front of me but basically he was talking about uh small churches and he he made some comments about how people that keep their kids and their families in small churches are selfish because uh they are not doing what's best for their children and yeah. best for the kingdom of god and uh and then so that that got a lot of he got a lot of you know, push back on that. And then he, and, and in his defense, came out and on Twitter, he apologized initially, but then he did a, an interview with Christianity Today where he said, you know, what I said was stupid and what I said was <laughs> wrong and I don't even believe that. And, but it, and so I don't want to make this about Andy. It's not, it's not about Andy. I just want to use this as a, as a catalyst to kind of talk about um, big churches versus small churches, and people listening to this podcast, they probably go to uh, all different types of churches, and uh, and all of us have worked in those uh, different churches. Um, and so, I just want to see what you think, which is uh, better, which one is better, and I don't even know if that's the right question, but, <laughs> but, but, but what? What I mean, Maybe thoughts, not. thoughts that you guys have when you you weigh the difference between a bigger big church and a small church and. We can say, I like big churches and I cannot lie. <laughs> I like them big. <laughs> I like them big. Uh, so so let's, uh, let's start with Mike, because Mike, you, you've, kind of, you've kind of been in the biggest churches of all of us, and you've been in one of the smallest, so kind of, yeah. how do you feel about that? Yeah, I think it's, you look at it from multiple different standpoints, actually churches that we have all worked in them, so that's something that's a different perspective, but also right. from the perspective of spiritual formation, I think they offer different things, uh, and that's one of the best ways, I think, to look at it. Like, larger churches can really offer a phenomenal experience to go and be a part of, um, there's no doubt, with the resources and the environment and the talent to really produce uh, maybe a wonderful experience around the holiday, Christmas, Easter. It can be really an awe-inspiring kind of experience. Small churches, though, provide uh, often a, a greater opportunity to engage in community uh, on a quicker quicker level, where you walk in and it feels there's 100, 120 people. It's an extended family. Uh, and where people can engage and use their gifts and abilities, their skill sets, if you will, just to to serve the church where they might not have the ability to do that because only you know, A-level talent can do it on a rather large church. So there's, there's trade-offs there. Uh, I've I found from my personal experience that we love both of those environments. Uh, a large church provides great experiences, wonderful programming uh, for adults and for kids. But we've really grown to love a church of around 100 to 150, although we want our church to grow. It's not like we want to stay small. Right. Um, we're constantly trying to reach more and more people uh, for Christ. But it's provided a, a really unique experience for my family that they have a, an extended family now of people that they really, truly know, that they care for, um, and that they're growing closer to Christ with. So there's definitely trade-offs in those. All right, John, what about you? I would agree um, with what Mike said. I mean, you know, there are definitely things that I miss about being in a, in a large church. Um, there are things I don't miss about being in a large church. <laughs> Um, you know, I think in a large church, you have to deal, um, if it, you have to deal with a lot more, uh, personalities on staff, you have to deal with, you know, you have to act a lot more politically, 
Uh, hmm. Oftentimes, you know, no. <laughs> going back to the, the <laughs> never uh, happens. Never, in the no, never, never. happens. Well, for <laughs> more power. There's definitely power there. Yeah, so I mean, oh. we'll lobby for that power. Right, and so you, you have you have those things. But like Mike said, there's a lot of great. There's a lot of things that large churches can do that small churches just can't. I mean, yeah. it just you know they can uh, put on you know a great experience, right? Um, you know what I find is that um, in my church currently, you know, we have a about 170 that, are, you know, call our church their home, you know, between kids and adults. And, you know, uh, we will tend to occasionally get people who, who come to our church who have actually been a part of some of the larger churches here in our area. I mean, they've, I mean, we, you know, I have a friend who calls the North Hills of Pittsburgh the, the land of the mega church, right? Um, <laughs> it is. <and> yes, <laughs> yeah, it is. A few of them. Yeah. <laughs> and we get people who have come, who maybe come out of that environment who, have really appreciated the, that environment. They, you know, they maybe came to Christ in that environment. They've had some, you know, great experiences, but they've really felt there's been a lack in terms of, you know, really being known mm-hmm. um, and being, you know, uh, cared for on a deeper level. Right. And so, um, I think that's that's the thing that a smaller church typically provides. Not always, mm-hmm. but typically provides that. No, because small churches have their foibles when it comes to community. Oh, stuff. sure. Too. Definitely. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. It's not like I yeah. go to a small church, so it's a great community. Right. That doesn't... Right. Those right. two things don't always go together. No, not always. Okay, so so far we've said that like most of the benefits of a small church is is you feel closer to people, it's easier to get connected, or it could be harder. It depends on the church culture. What about you, Mar? So you, you work in a big church now, but you lead a smaller part of that church. What, what do you think? Big big versus small? Yeah, I mean, I don't think I would have a choice, you know, which one I think is better. I think that that, that might be the wrong question. Right. Um, but, but what are the benefits for both? I mean, I think I think what what has been said about the ideal of community in a smaller church can be possible, but like you said, Mark, it you know it could be this. It, we're small because we don't want other people to come into this. Yeah, we're and, small because we're dif- dysfunctional. It. Right, right. Sure. Uh, but but I think that we have to you have to look at it and say, who are you as a person? What personality do you fit? Because some people they they feel overwhelmed. Uh, they go into a large church and they say, wow, I, I'm overwhelmed. And, and if no one comes up to them and says, hey, who are you? Welcome. Or if they don't feel like they, it matters if they're there or not, they're not going to show up to a big church often uh, because they're going to feel like, you know, I'm just a number. And, and I think that that's where the church itself, big or small, really has to do well at developing the things that they're weak at. So a larger church is weak at community. How can they develop out a uh, better community where people do feel known? Uh, you might not have your your say in, in in being on the worship team because you might not be you know able to do that or whatever. As Mike was saying, there might be a standard that you have to reach, but there is a place where you can fit and be known in a larger church. And I think that really takes this uh, this aspect of of forcefully looking at our weaknesses, whether we're small or large, and saying how can we better at that. You know, as as a small church campus pastor working with 65 people, you come into church, I know you're there, I know you're not, mm-hmm. right? I mean, I, I'm the I'm the pastor seeing it from up front. I can tell uh, just just by seeing who's there and who's not. So there is there is a personal aspect there that a large church pastor like Andy Stanley, you know, he, he would look out in the crowd, five or three different services, however many they have, and he wouldn't be able to say, oh, Janet wasn't here this week. I should call her and see if right, she's okay. Right. 
Um, but there should be someone who does notice that. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and that's think, my point. Do you think, I mean, do you guys think like, uh, okay, let, let's think about that. So like North Point Church, Andy Stanley's church, what, sure. 20, 30,000 people, something like that. Do you think that's even a good size for a church? Or do you think that that, do you think at some point it becomes something different than what it should be because maybe there's maybe there's an ideal size for a church or or maybe there's an a a wrong size for a church like you know i i don't know do you think that do you think that having thirty thousand people on a sunday or joel osteen's church i don't know how many people they get but but do you think that's do you think that's for a flawed right off the bat that's that's a flawed model to have people come into a thirty thousand seat your room or whatever, and then just walk away. Well, I think the hardest part of it is what the church is. The church is a community of people, and if you attend a church, um, your goal shouldn't just be to attend and see. Right. It's not like going to the theater. Right. It is a community that you should be actively involved in. You should be giving to it, to it financially. You should be giving your time to it. You should be engaging your energy into it. It should be something that you give as much as you receive from, if not more, that you give to. It's like a family. But that's not the way typically megachurches that, That's the challenge operate. of the megachurch right. is um, – uh, it is hard to activate that many people in actual community together. Because the bad question is, does it breed laziness? Because I can, can come. Because I consumerism. can come and sit. Yeah. It can create consumerism passively, not even actively. You can preach against it, but if right. there's not an active place for people to be involved in, it can, can passively create the system a sense of creates consumerism well, it, where the yeah. game is actually come, or maybe the game is come and give, Financially, but not really grow and be actively participating. The, the megachurch has the opportunity to help back and activate people's passions rather than forcing them into the program that they've designed. And I think that that's where, that's where the tension and the rub is, is because we create really great programs as big churches, but we're not helping activate other people in their passion. We simply try to have them pack into our mold, similar to the, the consumeristic reality of what Mike was talking about. I think churches that are 20,000, uh, I can't speak for all of them, but a lot of them are very consumeristic. Like, here are the programs, get with the program, join our programs, um, give financially, right. you know, that kind of thing. They're not creating this, uh, how can we inspire our people to go out and do the kingdom work? How can we help fund that, back them, and, and, and assist that? And I think that's what the mega church can well, do. Let's, that it's not let, let's take what Andy said just that. Let's remove him from from the equation and just say, the statement was made, um, and maybe there are big churches that feel this way. I'm not saying that Andy felt this way or whatever. Take him out of the equation where he said, um, you know, you are selfish if you keep your family in a small church because it doesn't, it, it's not what's best for them. Let's just take that statement at its, at just remove everybody it's from it. It's a, just, dumb, it's a dumb statement. <laughs> it's a very dumb statement. It's a, it's a dumb statement. Stupid. And why is it dumb? Because I, let, let's just say, I'm not, I'm not going to argue something that's not my point, but I'm going to, not necessarily my belief. Look at what we can provide for your family. It's so much better for them. It's so much better. And he was talking in the context, I think, of kids ministry and right, youth but, ministry. Yeah. So I'm going to go, so let me just make the point because right. I've been in both. So I could say, Look, I run a youth ministry of 150 kids. It's better for your son or daughter to come in here and be a part of this than it is to be a part of the church down the road that doesn't really have a youth ministry. 
Well, see, now that 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 point is is different than I think what he was saying, because I mean, if, we're, if he was talking about the Sunday programmatic view of church, small mm-hmm. church, he was not talking about youth ministry, not youth ministry. From my understanding of what he was saying, and so there's this yeah, sense. I thought of, it was in the context I of. So I think it was in the context of what you could do for your family. Okay, well, because mean, they had just come off a weekend where they had like a thousand middle school kids, and he was. I think what he was trying to get across was. Look what your kids could be involved but guess what? in. I don't know that being a part of that middle school retreat is any more spiritual forming than what my daughter does, who's actually, she is in middle school, and she serves in the overall adult part of right. church. I mean, right. she'll, she was, can greet and welcome people that are a part of the church. She serves right. back in kids' ministry, so she's actively learning to be a participant right. in, in the church, not being another consumer going right. to this great retreat. See that, but see, we're, so back, actually, we're back think, to the politician part, because so that, that, that takes more, more work. Most definitely. It's, yeah. it's actually right. less selfish. It's, it's more unselfish for her to serve in the church than to go to some great you know, program where she gets right. on a spiritual high. And that was the point so I was going to make. That's why I think it's a dumb, dumb statement. About the Sunday aspect. Yeah, I mean, that, that was the point I was going to make about the Sunday aspect is, is in small churches, they invite their kids to be a part of the, the, the actual congregation earlier than the ones that have the ability to make these really big programs. And so there, there is this tension of do we, do we develop them into consumers only or do we invite them into to the growth of the congregation to, to be and experience uh, what God is doing there, what he's speaking there? But then, you know, I have a seven-year-old kid who he has a hard time sitting that long. And so there's these, right. there are these, these offshoots that we have to really consider. But to say one is better than the other, I think that's an arrogant statement. And I think it's, it's wrong to assume that what you've done, uh, because that's, his, that's, that's that particular person's view, what you're doing or what you've done is better than something else. I think right. that that's where, that's where the, the, the rub really comes because you don't know that because, you know, Mike's daughter, she could probably be learning a lot more by serving, by loving, by being in the congregation than going to an event where she just sits there and, and, uh, you know, so well, she doesn't miss out too. Though. We we recognize that there's a blind spot there. There's large megachurches in her school system where she could develop a network of other people that follow Jesus and have a deeper friendship with. If we right. were a part of a larger ministry too, we probably all feel that. Sure. That's why these are trade offs. There's, right. yep. it's just right. it's a tension that you have to navigate. And, you know, three of us are on this table lead smaller campuses of other churches, and so we kind of have that big and small thing where we have some yep. of the supports from a big church, maybe even the tension and expectation to be a mega church one day, but we are smaller expressions of it. We're a smaller church, and so it's definitely there's pluses and minuses to it. Yeah, I mean, I would actually say, and I'm, I might get some pushback uh, from the rest of you guys on this. Large churches are harder for students to. Uh, to create deep spiritual formation, I would actually, I would actually say that, and here, and here's why. Um, in my church, my kids, and every kid in my church, has over a hundred adults from every stage of life who know them by name, know what they're involved in, you know, talk to them, ask them how they're doing, want to know what's going on in their life. When I was a youth youth minister in a large church, right. I didn't have a there were not a hundred adults yep. who knew 
those kids in my youth group. Yeah. But but I will say this, but you were a youth pastor, so was I, right. in a big church where we were full-time youth pastors. And Absolutely. because that church was big enough to have a full-time youth pastor, we could recruit adults and yep. and who invested in those kids, and we could provide so much more for them. So my pushback on you is, yes, there's 100 adults that know them, but the question is, are there 100 adults that are investing in them? This is a trade-off, right. right? I wouldn't trade. I spent 20 years of my life being a youth pastor full-time. Yep. I wouldn't trade the influence that we had on kids because when they came in the door at our church, we could have a great impact on them. I'm not saying that kids in a larger church um, don't have opportunities for spiritual formation. But I think in a smaller church, there are more organic and real opportunities for spiritual formation. And I, th- and I think, it, you know, going back to what Mike said, I mean, like my daughter, who's in fifth grade, she, she sings with our um, worship team right. on Sunday morning. Yeah. That's there not is, happening in the mega church. That is not happening no. in a mega church. You got to look, oh, you gotta no. look good to yeah, get on yeah, that platform. Right. And she's not, she's, 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 a, she's, she's actually, for oh, fifth yeah. grader, she's, she's a very good singer. Yep. But she's not perfect by any means. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But she gets to use her gift to the glory of God and for the service of God's people. And it's, it's an amazing to see her develop in that and to grow in that and to, to love that. It'd be interesting to see if there's a pushback on this. You know, there's a pushback in culture against like the big box stores or mm-hmm. chain restaurants. And we really have that experience in the kingdom of God right now in America where mega churches are the big box stores of faith development. Um, I just felt that way one day. I remember yeah, when but I, people also like their Amazon, they, too. You want to go in quick. You yeah, want to go in and right. out quick. You like the convenience of it. So I understand that tension. But there's a craft. There's a spiritual formation craft. And community can be formed, needs to be formed in intimacy that really right. fo- is just fostered more naturally in, in smaller networks. And so this is this attention point we see across culture in multiple domains. But I'm curious to see what it's going to mean for the church in the next 20 to 30 years. Yeah. Are the big box stores just going to continue to get big? If so, what does that mean for faith development? What does it mean for the depth of faith development, but also uh, the depth of community as well? And so it would be interesting to see if there is a pushback on that. So there, there is definitely this tension mm-hmm. where the larger church can't just, can no longer just be, we're big, people will come because we have the great production. But they have to sit back and say, okay, how can we remain big, have this our celebration time, but really mm-hmm. intentionally be small as well? Right. No, I, I think there is that. There's that ongoing, I mean, I think Mike said, it, there's, there's trade-offs, right? I mean, there's trade-offs to... To whether we're exactly. in a small church or in a, in a big church, I would say that a church somewhere between 250 to 500 people to me seems like an ideal size, personally. And then, um, and then once you reach that size, to then plant another church mm. somewhere else that's closer to where the people are coming from or whatever. Because we tend to like mega churches; they're destination churches. People could come right. from people could come from thirty five minutes away. Yeah, Wally World, <laughs> yeah. thirty five minutes away, and they come in and they don't really connect with things that are going on right. in the community. So personally, that's how I feel after working in both and yeah. spending twenty five years as a pastor. That would be for me. 
ideal, I think, what, what would work. And can I, can I speak to that a little bit, this idea of a destination church? I think that that definitely can be a dangerous thing. I mean, I, my wife and I, I'm not going to name the church, but we went to a, an, an Easter egg hunt from a large church in the area, and, and it really felt like Disney World rather than church. We went in there, and it was all about the fun, and, and the staff people that met us were very few and far in between, and they didn't really talk about their church or invite us into church. It, didn't, it wasn't an outreach. It was just a playtime. And to me, that was a lost moment. You know, like there was this th- this sense of, man, there are too many people, too many crowds, too many lines. I feel like I'm in Disney World. I go do this thing, and I waited in line more than I did actually doing this thing, and no one talked to me. Um, it it was kind of a disappointment. So I mean, there, well, there and, is this and is sense. The, and is the other question is what you win people with? That's what you win them to. Right. So exactly. like, if I win them to coming and having fun and sitting and not really having to do anything. Then, then I just breed over and over again what and, I've... And read. I think that's challenging. And it feeds point. into the American consumeristic yes, mentality. Does. Well, the whole challenge of it is who's God? Yep. <laughs> is it you or is, or is it God? God? Right. And, if it's, and whether you're in big or small, what's if you figure important? that out... Exactly. That is it. Yeah, so if you're in a big church and you figure out who God is and his calling on your life, this kind of goes back to the political. political it goes back to everything, right? The, yeah. If you figure out who God is, whether you're in a small church or a big church, you're going to make that church better. And right. You're going to be right. the church instead of just going to church. And um, So that's a good discussion. Hey, guys, that was great. Uh, we, we, we can't cover everything in that, but, but definitely we, we, we covered some ground. When we come back, we're going to have a little fun with this versus theme, and then we'll be done. And so thanks for being with us here on Post-Christian Pastors. Don't go anywhere. Back here on Post Christian Pastors. You guys ready? All right, here let's we're going to do it. Let's do it. Now, all right. Wow. wow. Thing. All right, you were thinking the same <laughs> Is that thing. Is from me. the 80s? No, yes. No, I was not thinking that. I was not thinking <laughs> the same <laughs> thing. Neither was I. Nowhere <laughs> near that. That song starts, let's do it. <laughs> all right. Yep. Okay, sorry. <laughs> I had to get my 80s comment in. Okay. Good, you did it. Yes. All right, so cue the music. Here we go. This is our, this is our uh, little segment called Verses. All right, so I'm going to throw out two things, verses, or it might be more than two things, and you have to pick your winner. All right, you got that? John, you good? Good. <laughs> because his name starts with J, he might be the only one that doesn't get it. John was a little slow on the uptake there. All right, all right here we go. All right, here we go. Number one, in and out. Burger versus Five Guys Burgers. In and Out Burger versus Five Guys Burgers. Mike Swenson's in Akron, Ohio. The best hamburger, <laughs> cheeseburger you'll have in the world. Nice way to Wins. go off the list into an Ohio. Destroys thing. them both. <laughs> Jeez, I mean, nobody cooperates. I say In and Out. Yeah, In and Out. What do you say, John? In and Out. In and Out. I'm going In and Out. You got to go In and Out. Get the get the uh, off the menu menu, whatever it's called. Comes the animal menu. style. Have you animal eaten In and yes, Out? And good. you're still yeah. going with. You Wentons? You, you don't know. That sounds like some five and dime you store in the middle of nowhere, Ohio. <laughs> you don't know. Uh, you don't know. At least I thought maybe say Good. Shake Shack Galley or something Boy. like Galley Boy, everything deluxe. All right, in and out wins that one. All right, here we go. Next one, versus in honor of Batman versus Superman. Michael Keaton, Val Kilmer, George Clooney, Christian Bale, or Ben Affleck. Pick your Batman. Who wins? Christian Bale. Christian Bale. Christian Michael ba- Keaton, the Pittsburgh boy. Oh, yeah. Come on. yeah. 
Michael Ginsburg. 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 Batman. Ginsburg alert. <laughs> Nobody picked George Clooney. Uh, too no. pretty. That's <laughs> a horrible, horrible Batman, George Clooney. But Bat- Ben Affleck is getting praise for being Batman in this new movie. He, he was did good. pretty well. He was good. Uh, I'm going to go with Keaton. I'm going to go with Keaton just because he was the original. <laughs> and he kicked it all off. And I'm a Yinzer. All right, here we go. Number three, going back to our old conversation. Andy Stanley versus Matt Chandler. Ooh, a little Ooh. preach-off. Matt Chandler. A little preach-off. Why Matt Chandler? Because I think that his sickness humbled the way he preaches. And uh, and he brings it with a different spirit. He had a tumor. Yeah. It's not a tumor. It's not a tumor. <laughs> All right. He had, a, he had a tumor. And he had a brain tumor. Serious yeah. thing. But now he's yeah. totally healed of that. Yep. And uh, so you're going to go with Matt Chandler, Mike. Yep. Matt Chandler. Matt Chandler. Why? Uh, he just pushes you. He's provocative. He kind of pushes you. And you go, I don't know. And then you make you think. And uh, mm-hmm. Andy's just a little vanilla for me sometimes. All right. Matt Chandler. Matt Chandler. Why, John? Uh, I think he goes a little bit deeper with, in scripture uh, than Andy. I mean, I, I think yeah. Andy's an excellent communicator. I, I mean, one of the best. Andy's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. He is. Andy's amazing. But in terms of a preacher, I think Matt Chandler is a better Both of those guys right. preach better than me, though. Yeah. I'll tell that right <laughs> yeah. now. Yeah. Both of those yeah. guys yeah. destroy <laughs> me. Yeah, absolutely. Matt, you're better than all of us. Anyway, no, <laughs> this is for you, Matt. I'm going to go with Andy Stanley. I like Andy because he's a history buff and he likes to talk about when he, every time he preaches, I think he talks about the Roman Empire and stuff like that. And I'm totally, <laughs> I'm totally into that. I really enjoy that, the, the history that he adds to and things like that. So I'm going to go with Andy. So, Andy, there you go. We weren't hey, busting on you. We weren't busting no on you earlier. Here. We love you. All, nothing but love here. <laughs> nothing, nothing but, but love. love. If you want to come speak at Crossroads Church, we'd love to have you up here. <laughs> I hope you hear this, Andy Stanley, Matt Chandler. I hope you hear this. I actually, you have a, we have a mutual friend. So, hopefully, maybe you can, we can hook you up with that. Where we can hook you up to do this podcast. Who knows, Andy? But we love you. All right, here we go. Next one up is a little 80s, 90s Christianity. Here we go. All right, so who would you pick, Michael W. Smith or DC Talk? DC Talk. Oh, why DC Talk? Because the Friend Forever have been bound. Have been bound. Yeah, I couldn't. I just I can't get over that song. And then Love Is a Verb. I mean, come on. Who doesn't want Love Is a Verb? Wait, which one did you go with? DC Talk. DC Talk. You know. Okay, go ahead. I like White Heart. White. It's off the list again. Striper, baby. Striper. I saw a thing where Ted Cruz was the lead singer for Striper. Oh man, Petra. Beyond belief, dude. Uh, DC Talk would have to, yeah. DC Talk. Yeah, DC Down talk. with the DC Talk. D- All right. D- okay, I got it too, so I, I don't know which one I'm going to pick, but I got to G- give you. Jesus Freak is actually probably one of the best Christian albums ever. Okay, I, I met Toby Freak. Mac, nice dude one time. Just me and him hanging out talking. Yeah. Most humble dude, super humble guy. I, I got to give you my Michael W. Smith story and my DC Talk story. Michael W. Smith, I was at a youth pastor's convention where right before he got up to play, they gave every youth pastor, they gave everybody a youth pastor one of those fart things that makes fart sounds. Oh, like the. <laughs> The uh, nice. the fart the what you, the, the, the ones you sit on oh, yeah. like you can also cushion. you the can also do it with your hand yeah. you could do it with your hand so he started singing friends are friends forever <laughs> everyone <laughs> the Lord the Lord did he them. stop or he keep going no he was doing it he like they he he enjoyed it oh, he like was good. he was like he'd be like friends are friends forever and then he'd cue everybody and they'd be uh, like. Okay. Nice. nice. <laughs> the Lord's the Lord of them. Nice. Just and a friend humor. will not say never. <laughs> like it was like it was hilarious. So that's my and then my uh, other one is I've uh, never been to a youth convention. Yeah. Youth, my you other one you missed out on life. I've never been the other one is I got to hang out with just me 
and Kevin Max and Toby. Toby, the three of us, just the three of us. I got to hang out with them. And just the three of us. I was like, we were in downtown Atlanta, just the three of us, walking around at three in the morning looking for donuts. Like, literally, I, this is a true story. I was walking wow. around, and I'm like, we're going to get murdered in Atlanta, and it's going to be like... There is nothing in downtown Atlanta. Yeah, it's going to be like two two members of DC Talk were <laughs> murdered last night, and some random other guy. That's who I would have been. <laughs> random and, other guy. And, um, and so, anyway, I became friends with Kevin Max, and I became friends with Toby, and for years, I got to go backstage with my youth group kids oh, every, nice, every time they came insider. to Pittsburgh. Over insider. Yeah, so I'm going to go with... Um, I'm going to go... dropper. I'm going to go down with the DC talk. All right. I am down with the DC talk. And so we're going to go with DC talk. All right. Here we go. If you had to wear a Christian t shirt, which one would you pick? The Lord's gym shirt. How many of you remember the Lord's gym shirt? Remember that one. Or, or the Air Jesus instead of Air Jordan with the tagline, the ultimate high. <laughs> <laughs> so which one? What, what was oh, the Lord's gym shirt tagline? What was it? It's a bench press. It was, this. yeah, bench press. I remember press that. This. And it was the cross. You had had that shirt. I had that shirt. Okay, so I might have had that so shirt if you or had, wanted it. So if you had to, had it. If you had to wear one of those shirts to Ooh. preach in this coming Sunday, <laughs> which Jesus. one would you wear? Versus oh, which one? Come on, what are you picking? Air Jesus, Air all the way, Jesus. all yeah. the way, John. What about you? Uh, if I have to pick Air Jesus, yeah. Air Jesus, yeah. two for Air Jesus. Yeah, yeah, I would definitely pick the Air Jesus one because you can make a joke at that. Like when that's he's bench air. pressing the cross, yeah. that's a hard one to make fun of. But what it should. What if you had to wear that on Good Friday? Right. Right, bench press. What about a tattoo? Cool. Which one would you do as a tattoo? Yeah. <laughs> as a tattoo to keep forever? <laughs> oh my gosh, I think a nun. <laughs> On your left butt cheek. <laughs> yeah. Why would you do that? No. <laughs> Too far, Mark. Too far. <laughs> I meant the Air Jordan one. I just want Air Jordan. <laughs> Air Jesus. I would take on a whole. Is that a trademark violation? Air Jesus. Mikey might come after you. That Air Jesus tattoo was on your butt. It'd be a whole something else. Yes, it would. (laughs) So I'm going to go with with Lord's Gym. I got to go with Lord's Gym. I would wear that next Sunday when I was preaching. I would go with that. All right, here we go. Uh, Last one. Backstreet Boys or New Kids on the Block versus... If you had the Backstreet Boys versus New Kids on the Block... Is this a fight? Which is someone you can listen to? fight. Well, yeah. Let's do both. Let's do both. A fight? If it was in a fight... Because they got a Wahlberg on one of those teams. Yeah. Yeah. No, wait. If it's a fight... No, wait. What team is Wahlberg on? New Kids. Donnie. Oh, I'm going to go with... I'm going to go in a fight. You're going going with New Kids. New Kids are... Wahlberg will take them all. Yeah. If we're talking fights... You want a kid to grow up in, this, in Southie, in, it says Southie in Boston. Yeah, well, so in a fight, in a fight, we're all going new kids. Oh yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> all right. What about just music? If you had to listen to it, if you're stuck on a desert I- or a desert island, a remote island, um, a desert remote island, <laughs> which one would you pick that you could play over and over again? Backstreet? Would you go be Backstreet back? Could, all right. Is or, there an option? Or you play new your kids? Ears off? <laughs> no, you cannot cut your ears off. Okay, then which I would uh, on very low volume. <laughs> Backstreet Boys. Backstreet. All right. That one song kind of gets me excited that when you were singing. Back, Which one? Backstreet. Backstreet. Back. back. Oh. So I probably would have to go. There back. you go. I'm going to have to go back to the 80s. You're going New Kids? I'm going New Kids. Oh, wow. Nice. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> You'd be on your remote <laughs> island. Just I'm embarrassed. Out of, I'm starting oh, to get embarrassed. Oh, 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 yes, this is <laughs> the right stuff. <laughs> the right yeah, stuff. That's, uh, wow. Yeah. Well, there we go. So we know that we would <laughs> use in a fight, <laughs> which is important. That's Walter, right. Yes. Because of Wahlberg. <laughs> if you hear this, Donnie Wahlberg. <laughs> I know it's for you. Mark. Mark. Donnie. Donnie's not tough. <laughs> 
<laughs> All right. Well, that was versus. That was that was epic. I, I enjoyed that. I hope people, other stuff. people enjoy it, but I enjoyed it. Air Jesus. Well, that, <laughs> well, that brings us so bad. That brings us. <laughs> that brings us to the end of this episode of Post Christian Pastors. We're glad you joined us. Hey, you can check out uh, when uh, we have new episodes coming up. You can find us on iTunes at Post Christian Pastors, or basically anywhere that you download podcasts from you will find the podcast Post-Christian Pastors. You can also find us on Facebook at uh, Post-Christian Pastors. Just search for that on Facebook and you will find there for our, our latest updates and things like that. Or if you'd like to be in contact with us, send us a, a Andy Stanley. If you would like to be in contact with <laughs> or Donnie Wahlberg, please send us an email not to Post-Christian Pastors. It's not tough. It's Mark. Post-Christian Pastors at gmail.com. Mark, Donnie, Whichever Joel one. Osteen, and Andy Stanley, stand, though, any, of the any of the Wahlbergs will I would take Mark Driscoll in a fight over Andy Stanley. So would I. (laughs) Man, it's not even a competition. He's mad. (laughs) Didn't Mark Driscoll do UFC at one point? I don't know. I don't know. Oh, yes, he did. He did. We should do do Mega Church Pastor Smackdown. (laughs) We'll have brackets like March Madness, and we'll we'll have them all fight against each other to see who wins in the end. All right, we're out for a day. We're out. Everybody say goodbye. 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 See you.